Welcome back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and it's great to be back with you on Living a Whole Christian Life. This week, we're going to have our second series on sleep. We talked about this last week about the incredible design that God has for sleep in our lives. And and there's so many different things that sleep does for us without a single bit of effort on our end that happens throughout the night. And so, as we talked about this last time, we really thought to ourselves, okay, so there's this incredible design that we're learning more and more about with sleep. And the question is, what are we really doing to enable God's design to really maximize itself as it pertains to our mood, our attention, our energy level, our physical development, so many different things. And so that's what we're going to dive into this week as we talk about this today. And actually, as we round out the physical dimensions of our lives, those physical rooms of the Christian home. Again, much of this material is taken from the book Holiness with a WH, The Unified Pursuit of Health, Harmony, Happiness, and Heaven. Okay, so here we go with sleep today. And I'm going to talk about both from an adult perspective and a kid perspective, but I do want to say something for all of you who are parents out there that, you know, one of the important things, of course, as we're going to talk through today on specifics is preserving your own sleep so you can really maximize your health and well-being and your holiness with a WH for all the roles in your life. But I think the second thing we have to consider as parents is that we are also models for our kids, both now in the short term and also the long term. The things that we do now Decades later, our kids will be saying themselves, okay, so this is how mom and dad did this. So this is probably going to be my default. And although kids can go their own way and often do, uh, many times they fall back to the patterns that we have in our own life. And never is that probably more true than what they see with how we handle sleep. So as we dive in, the first recommendation is we think about how to really honor God's gift of sleep to us. When we find that sleep problems are occurring, We really have to consider if there are other medical issues at play. That's one of the first important things. Things like diabetes and asthma and allergies can really affect the quality and the quantity of our sleep. So one of the first things we recommend around this issue of sleep is to make sure that there aren't medical issues that are pertaining to our sleep difficulties. One of the most specific medical issues that occurs, and I mentioned this last week about obstructive sleep apnea. By the way, obstructive sleep apnea is the idea when the airways have either been completely closed or partially closed. And the idea of partially closed is actually called hypopnea, and this occurs frequently with kids. When obstructive sleep apnea is occurring, both for kids and adults, it has significant impacts on psychological functioning, things like your attention and your mood, but especially with kids on their growth related to even muscle development and many other areas. So if you have any concerns, if, if a young child is snoring regularly, I always, you know, talked about a lot with parents about this idea. You know, I have parents who come in and say, you know what, my four-year-old um, has been snoring for a couple of years. It's probably not a big deal, but I, you know, we, we obviously screen around this. And sometimes snoring does not indicate that there is a airway obstruction, but sometimes it really does. And one of the misnomers that I often hear from parents and even medical professionals is that, well, you know what, their tonsils and adenoids, they look pretty typical. They don't look enlarged, so it must not be an issue of airway obstruction. But actually, the reality is that science has found that the size of tonsils and adenoids is not necessarily direct related to the the level of airway obstruction. Sometimes kids actually don't have enlarged tonsils and adenoids, but the way things are happening throughout the night is that it's causing a cessation of breath or cessation of oxygen from coming in. And so, 
The gold standard really in this end, if you have any medical concerns, is to have a sleep referral for a sleep specialist. And ultimately, it may involve an overnight study for kids or adults. But I find that a lot of people sometimes are afraid of going through this and they, they find ways out of it. But again, recognize that, you know, God created this very integrated mind and body. And so everything can affect everything. And so the last thing we want our kids is that their oxygen levels are dropping below what's called like 90% saturation. Um, at the same time, their carbon dioxide, their CO2 levels are increasing to an unhealthy level during the night. And the same goes for adults too. There is, again, a particular design that we want to honor, and if medical issues are getting in the way of that, then we need to address them. The second key when it comes to really positive sleep is the bedroom really should be conducive to sleep. And, you know, I find that this is a huge issue, not really just for kids, but for adults, that often TV or video games or extensive amount of toys for kids send a message that the bedroom is an entertainment zone, not a place to sleep. And the critical, there's actually, for anybody who's really into the world of sleep medicine and really deals with improving sleep, there's this term that we call stimulus control. And stimulus control is the idea that we want to enhance those factors in the bedroom that really cue us into going to sleep, and we want to reduce the factors that cue us into staying awake. And one of the most common things today, again, both for kids and adults, is the phone in the bedroom. We see repeatedly that so many kids, we, we mentioned, I think, last week that 85% of adolescents take their phone with them to bed, and I would argue that it's probably even higher for most adults. The problem is, is that that is, again, cueing your mind that this is a place to be awake or engaged, and our mind is really malleable in that way. And so when we take our phone to bed, we're basically saying, okay, this is more about me staying awake and engaged and connected, and this is me falling asleep. So I really, really urge you out there, and even if this is a change, and I know that, by the way, any of these changes that we talk about initially may feel uncomfortable or difficult to do, but really, actually, if you institute them um, institute them well, and by the way, on my website, james-schrader.com, I have tons more information about this whole process, that in a relatively short time, you can find that not only are you setting up good habits, but your quality and quantity of sleep can improve. So remember, The bedroom should only be used for sleeping, for adults, you know, for sex, but sleeping insects there. Otherwise, for kids, we should be sending the message that this is not an entertainment zone. This is a place where it's time to settle down. And if everything around them and if the media does not support that, it's going to be really difficult for all of us to have good sleep. In the same way, we want to make sure that the bedroom is as calming and secure as possible. Now, there's nothing wrong with simple noisemakers like fans or humidifiers, um, things that kind of actually reduce outside distractions. For those of you who live in kind of creaky old homes or or let's say you live near a busy road, kind of like we do, a fan can be really a nice way to drown out some of the distractions like cars going by or other things. So there's nothing wrong with that. And a small amount of light, this goes for kids especially, like a night light or even a stuffed animal for kids, which can reduce fears of the dark, is appropriate. But here's the real key thing, is that we do not want light in the bedroom to affect one of the designs of sleep with God, which is the melatonin cycle. Melatonin is a naturally occurring hormone in the body, which is designed to be connected to the degree of light that's around us. So the more light there is around us, the less melatonin, in a simplified way, is secreted. But the less light, the darker it is, 
the more melatonin, the more that cycle, more that system works well. And it's kind of interesting. I always think about like some of the best sleep I've ever had in my life. I can remember, I and mean, we'll talk about why it's important for the environment to be cool too. But I used to go up to my grandparents in Indianapolis and I would sleep in the basement up there, pitch black completely. It was cool. And I would sleep remarkably well. And I know that some kids are afraid of darkness and um, there's something more, you know, we need to talk about there about creating a positive experience, which will later. But the key is that if they do need to have any kind of light, it needs to be very focused light. If at times, even for adults or teens, let's say you've been trying to get asleep for 20 or 30 minutes and you can't, it's okay to have a book and a small focused lamp to read until you get tired again. But overhead lighting will disrupt that natural sleep cycle that's associated with melatonin. Now, speaking of the dark and cool idea, here's why it's actually really important for it to be cooler in bedrooms than warmer. One of the things that happens as you go to bed at night is that your body temperature gradually goes down. Actually, it goes down to the lowest point of the entire day, depending on when you go to bed, may be anywhere from 1 to 3 a.m. And that point is called the point of singularity. It's the lowest point your body temperature will ever reach. And so the idea is that good sleep starts off with cooler temps and just a cooler experience with your body in general. And then as your body warms up, that actually is one of the mechanisms by which it wakes you up. But here's the problem. If your bedroom is too warm or if your child's bedroom is too warm, then it's going to mimic kind of the pattern of waking up, mimic that idea. So we really want to have dark and cool bedrooms as much as possible to help kind of just be more conducive to sleep. Another area that's really important is that regular routines, both during the day, you know, where your meal times and your playtime for your kids, but also nighttime routines are really important. One of the interesting findings from research is, and especially this is for kids, but also for adults, is that those who have more of a routine around bedtime typically have less night awakenings. And it's not really clear exactly why that's the case, but in general, routine benefits us in lots of different ways. And so we find that just some of that gradual slowdown at night is really, really important. Another thing's really important, and I know we all violate this sometimes, and I know we're up kind of watching a movie or something late, but when you have screen engagement, you really want to avoid that at least 30 minutes before bedtime, especially if it's for kids, even 45 to 60 minutes before bedtime. And again, I realize that many people and our kids sometimes included will watch a late movie or watch TV. But the problem is, is that it just activates the mind. And so the ideal way is to have a regular routine at night. One of the worst things that kids especially, but this goes for adults too, the worst thing they can do for sleep is often to fall asleep on, let's say, the couch watching TV and have really no routine at all and kind of stumble out and eventually end up in bed. The best thing is to have the calming routine do it night after night, and really avoid media as much as possible near bedtime. The idea here is that we're trying to develop a proper sleep association getting to bed and just trying to avoid engaging our mind in a way that suggests that we're not going to bed, but we're being entertained as opposed to calming our mind down. Another thing that's critical, like we've said before, you know, all of this is just an opportunity. We talk about obligation, but we're not talking about it in this podcast, nor will we ever. This is an opportunity to enhance our sleep quality and that of our kids and set patterns for a lifetime. So the other opportunity here is to have as much of a consistent bedtime and wake time. And wake time is actually most important 
as we can. And the idea for kids especially, but I think that we adults should kind of aspire to this in general, is to have a one-hour window. So, you know, you can allow a little flexibility. More than an hour of, you know, flexibility with your bedtime and especially wake time can cause some real big challenges. So think about this. You know, we've all had situations where we stayed up till really late on a Saturday night, 2 a.m., right? We slept in really late Sunday. And then all of a sudden, here comes Monday morning, whether it's school or work, and you're not feeling tired on your typical Sunday night, right? You're not feeling tired until later and later. And all of a sudden, here's what happens is that sleep cycle starts to get disrupted. So even with young kids, of course, consistent nap times are also important. But I would argue probably, and based on the research that we know, that the most important thing is to have a consistent wake time, at least within an hour window. It's just something that will allow you and your kids to not necessarily get caught in a negative cycle. Another thing around bedtime, and this may sound kind of obvious, but is just avoiding excessive fluids. Again, we often say this for kids, but really adults, this pertains too. And we really, really want to eliminate caffeine at night. I know many of you out there have said, oh, you know, my body's adjusted. It doesn't really make a big difference. But we would say that caffeine after noon or two, um, especially for kids or especially sugary drinks later in the day, are likely to disrupt your sleep cycle. It's just really not conducive from a neurological perspective to kind of calm down. The other thing that's really critical, and this is not surprising, is that God's design says that the more active we are during the day, the better we're going to sleep at night. Now, again, there's one caveat here. Activity too close to bed activates our mind. So we would ideally like to kind of not have activity tied within that last hour or two. But in general, the more active we are, the more we're exposed to natural light, evidence indicates that we are going to sleep better. It kind of just makes sense. We're not only more tired, but I think that just in the natural systems of our body have interacted in a way that says it's ready to go down. And then in the opposite end, and not surprisingly, is that excessive media time, we talked about this before in different ways, but TV, internet, video games has just been associated with poor sleep. And I think there's probably multiple factors that are connected with this, but one is just the sense that it's more sedentary. So if you think about this idea that increasing activity, especially in the morning, if it's possible for all of you out there, but just increasing activity throughout the day, even if it's a walk at lunch or or after you get home from work, a walk or, you know, a quick run or something like that is really, really important. And finally, in our last couple of things, as we think about just really enhancing God's design, taking this opportunity of sleep and maximizing its incredible potential, if you're a parent out there especially, you really want to make sleep a positive experience and not something to be feared. And this may include talking to kids at night about, let's say, fun stories throughout the day. It often may include prayer, of course reinforcing positive things that kids have done, and just really be reassuring and excited about sleep itself. We found this with our own kids that nobody necessarily wants to go to bed, although sometimes I think those of you out there, and sometimes our own kids are putting themselves to bed because they're just exhausted. But many times, you know, the idea of like going to bed is you're missing out on something. Or if you have a kid that's afraid of the dark, which by the way, is a normal developmental trend, late preschool and early elementary age, it's hard for them to see the positive aspects of sleep. But I would say that, you know, in addition to kind of sharing a number of the positive areas I just mentioned, it's also great to start teaching kids about what sleep does and how cool it is that we don't have to do a single thing to enhance all those things during the day, like our attention, you know, and our energy and being positive. We don't have to do a single thing at all 
with regard to the mechanism of sleep other than just making it a priority. So it's really key to think about this. Like in the end of the day, if sleep is a positive experience, and I think, by the way, as a parent of eight kids, I can't think of many things that I enjoy much more than really good sleep or the opportunity to at least pursue it, whether even if it's a nap sometimes, which is not very often, but I think the older I get, it may sound curmudgeonly here, but the more I just love the, the process of sleep. And, you know, sometimes if I'm not sleeping well, I just like kind of being there in the quiet moment and recognizing that I have no demands, no expectations. And even if I'm laying awake at night and it's not the best night of sleep, you know what? Nobody's asking me to do anything. And that in and of itself is pretty sweet. And finally, we should all be aware of just the sleep targets that are out there. I think that sometimes we don't have this information, but, you know, in general, the guidelines are kind of clear that for three to five-year-olds, we're looking to have, you know, 11 to 13 hours of total sleep, which of course often includes naps. For six to 11-year-olds, you know, we're looking at nine to 11 hours of sleep. And for adolescents, you know, we're looking at anywhere from kind of eight to 10 hours of sleep. And by the time we get to adulthood, you know, we adults, the sweet spot appears to be seven to eight hours of sleep, although we would still say the seven to nine hour range is probably more of what we're shooting for, depending on who we are. So here we are, back to living the whole Christian life. I don't know if you've ever thought that you'd listen to a podcast on sleep or two of them as it pertains to Christianity, but it is what we do the most. If we truly are supposed to spend 25 years of our life engaged in sleep, then by all means, I can't imagine that it isn't a huge Christian priority. It's easy to get put to sleep. It's easy not to think about it. It's easy to kind of just assume that it's there and we can kind of move past it. But this is a third of our life here. And I look forward to hearing kind of more, you know, the Christian perspective. There's so much that goes on. And by the way, we scientifically are still learning so much about it. It's remarkable. So if anything, I hope that I've engaged you around this idea of just the curiosity and also just the sanctity that sleep can provide. And so with that, next week, we are going to move on to a whole new dimension. And we'll wait to kind of talk about this, but we have gone through the idea of diet and activity and sleep, the three pillars of health. And there's so much there. We could do our own podcast on each of these, but as it is, and as our time frame lays it out, we're headed to a new dimension a new room of this Christian home. Again, can you see it? From the foundation to the framework to the rooms of the home, we're pursuing this whole Christian life. This is Dr. Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole. Be holy.